Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. I'm Laura. And tonight we're talking about connection in a live record. I'm glad that you wanted to talk about connection since we're recording on Valentine's Day and we both think it's a capitalist um, nightmare. Uh, But I do think connection is what people are looking for on Valentine's Day, even though I think it's a repository of longing for connection instead of, you know, uh, stuffed teddy bears and chocolate. So can we talk a little bit about what healthy connection looks like in your estimation? One thing is I think we like underestimate the importance of connection. Like I think we obviously place like an outsized importance on romantic connection, but then like don't prioritize other kinds of other other kinds of connection. Like we as a culture talk about self-care all the time in terms of like creams and like individual pursuits. Um, but I think we give less credit to connection as a form of care. And that's like casual connections between acquaintances, which we have now during the pandemic, like it's becoming clear that that was a kind of connection. Um, because now that we don't have it, it's like, (laughs) you know, something that we miss being out and having those kinds of collisions with, uh, acquaintances, uh, meeting people in spontaneous situations and then there's obviously like platonic friendships connections that way like familial connections and even like last week the super bowl got me thinking about (laughs) uh connection a little bit like how why national pastimes happen why like the super bowl became a thing so like that's a i think uh about the pursuit of connection like bonding over sports um And I understand why that's appealing. It's just like so effortless to connect on that level about like a general, like common uh, public event. So uh, how about you? Like what, what kinds of connections do you notice and what kinds of connections like are you missing right now? You know, I think, I think you're right that uh, we don't think intentionally about connecting with other people as a whole, like as a culture, which is a problem, right? Because I think people especially about friendship. I think people have some, the sense that like friendship is effortless or it just sort of happens or it happens to you. It's all very passive, I think, as a conceptualization, as a culture, which is very weird to me because I'm like, you just people are just spending time with randos that they're not like really cultivating deep connection with or even satisfying connection. I don't even know that it has to be deep to be satisfying. So I have been thinking a lot about you know, what kind of connections people tolerate for a long time that aren't intentional and that do not provide satisfaction regardless of their depth. Um, In terms of what I'm missing right now, it's certainly the acquaintances, like townie life. There's no townie life. And it's weird because, especially because I have such a public life, it's strange to not see those familiar faces every day, whether it's the coffee shop or the bartender or picking up food or the librarians or like, it's very Mr. Rogers neighborhood for me. Who are the people in your neighborhood? And I'm only seeing the people who are the closest in proximity to my house, right? Because the pandemic has sort of kept me closer to where I actually live rather than the larger perimeter of my life. 
And that got me thinking a lot too about, you know, like you were saying about the Super Bowl. In some ways, I think connection is very much about belonging and find the people that you belong to. I hate it when the white people talk about finding your tribe because it's racist, but it is about finding a kind of belonging and a group of people with whom you can continue to build over time, whether they're acquaintances, whether they're deep connections, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the intentionality of connection because I feel like even even when you are, you know, out and about around town, I feel like it's hard to interact with people that you don't specifically seek out. Like if you're going to a show, that's kind of like a curated experience where you're going to meet a certain kind of people like within a certain kind of age bracket. So like that's a kind of a curated experience that's like determining who you end up connecting with. I don't know what kinds of connections we have that aren't um, specifically sought out or intentional in some way. That's funny though, because when I was getting ready for the episode, I was thinking about how many shows you and I have seen in other states where we've showed up randomly at shows and then run into friends there that we hadn't seen in years, that we hadn't seen in a while or whatever, that were at some points close connections or, you know, what have you, and then ended up spending the whole weekend hanging out. And I feel like I feel like that's a very female thing. Actually, it's hyper gendered to have connections that are deep, but that you don't have to put intentional effort to maintain because they continue like enough effort was put in at some point that you can pick right back up later. And I feel like that's a hyper gendered thing that is about the quality of the connection and perhaps the intensity up front in the way that, you know, female relationships are so intense. I think too, you know, I'm obviously a little bit older than you and I've been thinking a lot about the intensity of connection and the way that that works as a gendered thing, because I, I don't think that as, as people age men, for example, I don't think that they have these like hot and heavy friendships where they're just like panting after other dudes at middle age. It's like, oh, I just cannot get enough of, you know, that dude's man cave. And I mean, I just cannot get enough of drinking beer with him and listening to whatever bullshit he has to say. Like the men are not out having these hot and heavy, intense friendships, which makes me feel fucking sad if I'm being totally honest. I feel like that is such a, it's a, it's a missing out thing, but also I feel like it's a point of departure where they can't understand, you know, especially female relationships that are that intense on the front end and that also maintain that intensity over time, regardless of how much you see the other person. I think that also reflects like the types of connections that people have having a connection that's based in sports is obviously like going to be less meaningful than having a connection based on a mutual interest that's more unique to you um and I I think music can be both things like um I think in Dallas we were seeing PJ Harvey you know and like that's a different thing than seeing Bruce Springsteen you know so uh, like what is the connection based on if it's sports I'm not saying you can't have deep connections over sports certainly playing sports uh, is an excellent form of um connecting but you know like <laughs> what are you bonding over and what are you willing to bond over because in some cases yeah. it could only be sports because you don't have to be vulnerable you can talk about what's on the tv in front of you um and not have to talk about your feelings Yeah, I mean, I wrote down a list of kinds of connections. So I was thinking about, 
you know, emotional connection, which obviously is pretty relegated to chick culture. I was thinking about social connection and how much more social women are expected to be a to keep themselves alive in a culture that hates them and wants them to be dead and b as a matter of managing the wealth gap. Um, I was thinking about intellectual connections and what that looks like over time. Like it freaks me out when people are close, but don't read together. I can't, I, it's completely unfathomable. I like, it's just like, does not compute to me about how you can be close to people and not read together. It's intellectual connection. Obviously I was thinking about physical connection. I was thinking a lot about young girls and how they connect and how they touch so much. So I was talking, I was thinking about hair touching. Like, I don't know if you had girlfriends when you were young who would touch your hair at school in class, like pet you. I don't know that I ever initiated like public petting, but I was petted. I mean, I have good hair, so it could just be that. <laughs> I mean, people like would pet me like a, an animal all the time as a young person. So I don't I get petted less. I get more like the drunk grab now in public late night, which is a different kind of touching. But I but I was thinking a lot about non-sexual physical touching and about how men and male culture really lacks that kind. And I think right now I have a ton of empathy for men who are going without like just the casual like I don't know, bro touching, right? Even handshaking or the weird thing that they do where they handshake and elbow grab or the man pat, right? Regardless of how aggressive it is. I'm just thinking about how men's affection as physical connection is so micro and women is, it's just so macro and over the top and effusive and physical. And I feel a lot for the men who are not getting touched because I feel like, that is going to have long-term consequences. Yeah. And I feel like that makes them codependent with women in <laughs> a way that's unhealthy and like promotes jealousy and things like that. Yeah. The touch thing is really interesting because I think there's like an actual physical need, like our bodies physically need to like be touched by other people. Like that's a really important, I feel it, you know, I like being petted, being touched, like, um in college and maybe this is cliche I don't know we would do like massage circles and it was like just when we weren't able to go to the bars or whatever we were young like that would be all we would do is, <laughs> is rub on each other yeah and yeah. I was a really like distance closed off person and that was something that really helped me like understand that you should touch people with their consent <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I also think that the not having um, non-sexual touch fucks up people's sexualities. So obviously I've joked with you about how I'm skeptical of people who won't dance because I feel like dancing is a litmus test for how comfortable you are in your body. For me, it's just like a canary in the coal mine. And I think that when you don't have platonic touch, it makes sexual touch like obscenely more important in ways that are not healthy, right? So it like increases the stakes for sexual touching, which helps zero people, <laughs> you know, to have that much pressure on the sex as touch, as exclusive touch, or as the entree into connection. So I, I from as I was sort of turning this over in my brain, I was just thinking about aging and how much more touch women accumulate over the course of their lifetime. 
because they touch each other. But also, you know, I'm a parent, so I get touched out because I get touched all the time from my kid. And especially when you have little kids, they follow you everywhere and they're just on you all the time and you get touched out. So I just, it's just like, don't fucking touch me. <laughs> I have been touched all day. I have been touched all day. I don't want to be touched. And I feel like men do not get touched out. So they don't even know that that's the thing, like that there are boundaries to touch that are just about intensity and propensity and frequency and, you know, those sorts of things. And I, I feel like that lack of awareness about how others touch is a real, I don't know, failure to communicate as a culture in terms of how we see connection unfolding. And so I think that, you know, I started out asking about healthy connections because I think healthy connections are reciprocal and they have vulnerability and, you know, they are symmetrical, they have boundaries to them, they're well-paced, right? And they're collaborative. And I think unhealthy connections are also interesting. So I, have, I was thinking a lot about obsessions um, because I don't, I don't know that I have had obsessions, you know, in my life because it always struck me as massive dysregulation. So I was always very, very, um, uh, skeptical of obsession as a mode of engaging other people. Like it would freak me out. I understood it as like a platonic thing. Like, oh, I totally want to binge on X activity with so-and-so, but in terms of like obsessing about a human, it's only when the dysregulation takes over, right? That the obsession happens because it, it spins out into chaos. But as I don't know that I have ever been obsessed with someone only, I've only been caught in, you know, churn so that somebody's produced. What do you think about obsession as unhealthy connection? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it ever comes from like a healthy place. I know times when I've been obsessive and in terms of defining obsession, my attention span is short enough that like obsession means I was obsessed with something for like six weeks and then I haven't thought about it since. You know, it comes from a place like when I do was that way, like when I was younger, maybe it came from like a place of lack, desire for attention or, you know, it, it's a desire that you're projecting onto another person. When you're obsessed with something, I don't think you have a realistic impression of what especially a person, like what that person is. And I think any kind of genuine intimate connection does require understanding that people aren't perfect, you know, and also not trying to project onto them like what you want from them. So for me, yeah, obsession, I think it's, it's often a projection. No, I agree with that. I, but I, I think that people nurture obsessions as placeholders for authentic connection, for sure. Obsessions seem like red flags to me to be completely avoided as just spun out, dysregulated longing for connection. And I also think, I was thinking about how we misread connection. So I know a lot of people who get bored or lonely and then they, they misread a friendship as a potential like romantic entanglement of some sort. So I think that we're, I think people misread connection a lot. So they misidentify people in their lives, especially when they're lonely or bored and then try and make a friendship fit a romantic connection or somebody from their past fit into their future. And, you know, it just seems like that's an unhealthy connective behavior 
Yeah, I think it's unhealthy when you only allow that connection to be the one thing that you've predetermined it to be. You know, um, I was re-watching Master of None uh, this weekend, and there's this scene where Aziz has this platonic relationship with a woman, and she's engaged to someone else. They end it, and he, there's like a full two-minute scene where he's just pissed off that the night didn't end in sex, you know? <laughs> and it's like, okay that's obviously unhealthy but like if you can be like okay that's not what this relationship is and that I'm okay with our, our relationship being on this person's terms or negotiating it that way I think when you like place constraints and titles onto relationships or you have certain expectations like this can only end like this night only ends well if it ends in sex like that I think is uh, hindrance to better <laughs> connections. I mean, part of it is just this word authenticity, which obviously we've talked about in the podcast at, at length, but I think it bears um, circling back to it now about what it means to have authentic connections. And what I sort of wonder what's going to happen after the COVID, like, is everybody going to emerge like from their masks and just like, you know, spring break? I'm just like, oh my God, we're going to have to have conversations about venereal disease, STDs, and like all of this stuff, because I feel like it's going to be like MTV spring break, like 1991. And you know what I'm, because I feel like everybody is so disconnected that, they, and they're so, and they feel hungry and hungry people make terrible decisions <laughs> and terrible decisions, right? Because they're, they're literally starved for things that are needs. And so I sort of wonder, you know, what will happen as like all of these grizzled adults like emerge <laughs> from their, their cocoons. And even the folks who are out there, like, you know, the wage workers and the essential workers who are out every day, as soon as the pressure releases from them where they're not overproducing their labor to like, I don't know, save the country's lives. Like, it seems to me that they're just gonna blow up it's like um when prohibition ended <laughs> you know anytime there's a scarcity and this time it is a scarcity of connection yeah you want to overcompensate I mean I, I guess we're here for the roaring 20s right so we're going to do that again I'm happy to dust off the flapper <laughs> dress and drink a bunch of absinthe <laughs> call well, me <laughs> I'm hoping that you know um it makes people feel more at ease being like okay I'm willing to get out and meet people and get out of my shell a little more because being super isolated was really terrible <laughs> but also I'm hoping that it makes people embrace their weird because I just feel like everybody's gotten like exponentially weirder because of the COVID so I'm like let that free flag fly because or pandemic bodies you know like yeah. maybe care less of it like put on less makeup you know I, if you spent most of your time inside and you know reevaluated oh I can work from home actually or you know I don't have to put on makeup every day actually you know feeling more comfortable going out without you know some of the constructs that you adhered to before also I just feel bad because I feel like people are food shaming themselves like we were joking about buying all the food because of the the snowstorm that we're in the middle of and I just want to be like that stress it's called cortisol it is the way that your body metabolizes horrific stress. 
and like you can't control it you know like unless you're working out in massive doses to manage the overproduction of cortisol because we're in the middle of a mass extinction event it doesn't matter if you had pasta three times this week like the thing that's happening to you is like crushing ennui and massive anxiety which is super normal and so i i don't know i just hope that when people reemerge you know out from under their rocks that they are more comfortable with themselves after time alone like that for me would be like a plus culture like ascension because like all these folks had these varying degrees of like intense relationships with themselves over the pandemic and have grown to a totally different level of self-acceptance and so now they can enter relationships from a more authentic place instead of pretending to be like the assholes they work with right because i think that that, because i think that one thing that hinders connection obviously is capitalism and the transference of values to trying to keep up with the joneses and be like whoever you work with or like fit in at work and all all of that stuff makes people so much more boring and less interesting i also hope that they are doing more to support communities right so i hope that they see interconnectedness in a different way and instead of like getting closer inside of themselves after the pandemic, they open up and start producing more labor for the community. I mean, I hope there is some progress with the minimum wage. Pulling the boot off people's necks, I think, um, is really important. I think people are too pressed, you know, and connection is so important. And I think some people don't even have the choice to prioritize it because they have to work two jobs. I think that capitalism has like completely destroyed <laughs> most forms of connection. And that's why I, part of why romantic connection takes priority. And part of that's like a property thing. And part of it's you have time for one. <laughs> one. Yeah. And, it, and then it becomes mythic because there's only one person who could take up that space because there's so little space. I worry though about the connection with the kids, maybe because I have one. Um, and I, I took my kid for her, her pediatric appointment, right? Her yearly and her pediatrician was like, all of the kids are so depressed. It's very bad. And, you know, my kid doesn't fall into that category, but I, because I've been home, right? So I've been available to do stuff. Um, but I feel like, lots of parents who had non, you know, ideal working situations or employment situations and absorbed a lot of the shock, especially of the last six months of the pandemic. I feel like the guilt of that, of shouldering the burden of capital or of care work and the way in which the children have been an afterthought of the entire Trump administration if they weren't just a, a vicious target of his policies are something we need to think about very seriously as a culture because I think that they're, as they you know, emerge from COVID, even if they've been going to school, their connections are gonna be completely you know, influenced by this. I keep telling my kid like, this is gonna affect your entire life. Every kid your age is gonna have a totally transformative story about this moment and how it affected them. And there's nothing like that. Like, even though I wanna say like my entire generation was affected by Reagan, I, 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 it's just not true that all of the people my age had any awareness of Reagan whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? So it didn't, it ended up being a non, I don't know, neither a traumatic event nor a defining thing 
for their consciousness, but this will be. And that has the potential, I think, to shape that entire generation in ways that we have, we can't even foresee, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think when I was younger, that's when I was the most connected. So, I mean, and part of that was like having few responsibilities. There was more opportunity for spontaneity. Having like a whole year, which is a very long time for a young person, um, as adults too, one thing that has been a problem for years is how many constraints on our time that there are. So like everything has to be scheduled because of work. We have very little space for spontaneity, which is where a lot of uh, potential for connection happens. And I, I don't know, like when I was younger, so many of my friendships thrived on spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Like it would just be <laughs> my ability to like drop whatever I was doing for an extended hang, you know? <laughs> so and I, I remember like one of my friends who like I did the most spontaneous stuff with like told me a year ago he was like I'm gonna come up tomorrow like he messaged me on a Thursday and I was like you need to give me uh, at least a week of notice <laughs> you know and I, I hurt me to say that like I can't <laughs> just drop everything anymore and that's like something that's that I feel like we should make space you know so it's like how do you maybe you block off your schedule if that's what it takes to be like this is like unstructured time where I want to like reach out um so and and in the pandemic you have to do stuff like that like how do I structure time you know for me or for my kid um to get that connection that they're not going to get spontaneously so I it has to be a priority I think too, though, that the point about aging is really important. I went out and took groceries to my mom on Friday, I guess, and she lives out in the country and um, I dropped these groceries off and, and she just started sobbing in the doorway. And she's just like, I'm out here and I'm so lonely. And so I like the it's single people generally, but older people. I think that, you know, in my mom's case, and I think all of the boomer women, and by all, I mean exactly all of them, they don't, they did not make friends as adult people. So they had a crew that they grew up with. They often did not move very far away from where they went to high school or whatever, except for like the top 1% that got to go to college, I guess in the seventies, I don't know, four women got to do that. And I feel like they didn't make friends. And, and I, I sort of, I joke about it in my gender classes. I'm like, how many of your parents have zero friends? And almost every hand goes up every semester and I've been teaching that class for 20 years so it's like that's two almost two full generations of adult humans that can't say that they've made any new friends as adult people like after the age of 30 and part of that is because they get busy with young children and career things and they withdraw into like suburban bullshit life and part of it is that they're the other side right are working so many jobs and going through so much trauma that there's no space to build because everybody's living under such duress so you know i think that Perhaps one thing that COVID has helped uncover is about how unequal the connections are. You know, this is why I'm like, I'm hopeful that people who've had time alone inside of their heads have come to a different understanding of 
what their actual needs are so they can ask for them and they can prioritize them in exactly the way that you're talking about. But also just as like a cultural thing, I, you know, one of the things that uh, that came up in the presidential debates in the Democratic primaries were, were questions actually among the, the boomers and older on the stage about how to create connections <laughs> among older people, like as a priority for the culture, like we should be invested in ways to create connections for people as they age. And I, I think that that's, um, that's a non-negligible thing in the, in the same way that it's important for the kids who are muddling through this fuckery and the complete negligence of their government. I feel the same about elderly people and people as they age. Like, you know, having connections is one thing, but that's a, it's a question of how do you intentionally make a connection? How do you keep a connection? And how do you end a connection, right? And COVID has like sort of tossed up, you know, all of these things and messed up the pacing of relationships so that everybody is without a script. Now, I like not having a script for the same reasons you do, that it kills hierarchies and it creates possibilities and it teaches us how to use our imaginations. But I think as a whole, as a culture, we're very bad off script. <laughs> so I am sort of excited to see what people emerge as after this long winter, because I feel like the possibilities for them to collaborate with other people, especially on class things and political things might be a, a little, I'm a little more optimistic about this being an opportunity. It gets me so thinking about um, networking and how like that replaced in some ways, like authentic connection yeah, out, of, totally. out of like a necessity because like um, as career <laughs> landscape has gotten more competitive, now it's like, oh, you have to network. It, when you're doing it in a career sense, like there are vulnerabilities that you can't share like in a professional setting. Um, so it's like, if you're spending all this time networking, which I guess is something you have to do, um, and you have to you do it in a way that presents like a professional brand that's hireable and uh, non-controversial and that you're going to be the perfect fit for this uh, job description. Like when you're presenting that and you're trying to be something that, um, I don't know who perfectly fits a job description because I definitely don't. And... <laughs> I have a real hard time being professional to me like that type of connection has like taken the place sometimes of a more authentic genuine connection because like we're so short on time and because it's become a requirement and because you have to manage your image image so much and that's true on social media too which is why like people are still so lonely even though they're on Facebook all of the time because like you are putting out an image of yourself that isn't necessarily it's a managed image and there are things that you can't share like I, there are things I don't share on Facebook and Twitter because I want to be employed <laughs> you know so <laughs> funny. I appreciate that so much because academics, like, you know, I was talking to a, a colleague and friend uh, today actually about this. And I get sometimes lost because I've been in my, my field since I was 14. So I work with people in my field that have known me since I was basically a teenager, which is fucking weird and awkward. And uh, I, would not, I wish somebody would have told me that was like a consequence. On the other hand, then I have all these deep connections <laughs> that are odd. Like, you know, when you know somebody in your field for 60 years, 
that is a different connection than if you're changing jobs every four or five years and changing your life around, you know, different career options. Academics don't do that. So A, they tend to be pretty stale, but on the other hand, they have pretty long and occasionally deep relationships outside of their immediate workplace, which is, a t it's, I, I was joking today, it's like almost working in a company town, you know, <laughs> being an academic on a campus, right? Because your company is the largest employer wherever you're at, if you're at a university. And, you know, so there are different expectations of you. But I think you're right that networking has replaced deep connections. So people are, I think that when they bitch about the hustle, they're really talking about the, you know, the, I don't know, the compulsory FaceTime and glad handing and backslapping bullshit of whiteness, actually, rather than, you know, the deep connections, even you know, even for townies, even in small towns, even in places where you know people casually, but over a long period of time. So I really appreciate that perspective because academics don't change jobs. And so they get a way over attached to the worst connections. So they, they get attached to their job over everything else and it distorts their um, politics and it distorts their time and it makes them, you know, overproduce. Obviously I bitch about white ladies overproducing labor all the time for no good reason. You know, it, it creates a different kind of alienation that is over identification with work. Well, the stakes are really high if you have the same colleagues for your entire career. So it's like, I really can't ruin this relationship it's hard because like you have to expect people to be flawed and you have to expect people to disappoint you you have to be able to tell people to fuck off you just <laughs> have to sometimes they're doing really fetid trashy yeah. shit this is the bad thing about the academy is because everybody is so up everybody else's ass because they can't get fired they're the only people on earth that have any fucking job security and so what do they do with that instead of becoming more radical about social connection they become way more conservative because they they produce the this imagined precarity that's not real and then they and it's very bad connecting it is not useful you have to be able to have boundaries enough to tell people to fuck off even at work because yeah. sometimes it has to be said it just has to be said. Yeah, no, that's important. And I, I think sometimes that's what's the worst part of power dynamics where <laughs> like you can't tell your boss to, where you can't create boundaries with because of a, a hierarchy. And why I do think we need more labor power, um, which we talked about in the power episode and also here talking about the minimum wage because you do need to give people the chance to like create boundaries because there are certain circumstances in which like you do need to tell someone to fuck off <laughs> and you can't because of power. Um, you, you know, you can't like detonate your life that way. <laughs> so that's important though. Like that is so important to be able to set boundaries. And that's an important part of connection too, because you know, if you are, if your boundaries are constantly violated, like that's going to make it harder for you to want to have connection with, with people and to have the space and the capacity. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the that the paucity of connection actually for women in particular at work drives them to over-identify with work as their love language or something. And it distorts their ability to connect with others because they get into these really unhealthy relationships with their work where they're over-scheduled and then can't make time. So they're constantly filling their time and avoiding connection because they forget how to do it. And then you, then I ask 
every class always do your parents have friends or like neither my mother nor my father has any friends whatsoever and it's like can we please talk about how to prevent that because it's super preventable but if you over identify with your work instead of actual human people then you are only ever going to be totally closed off and then you're going to lose this because it's a skill set to do vulnerability reciprocity collaboration symmetrical disclosure pacing you know those are skill sets and if you let them atrophy as an adult person it, it the scarcity feels so much more real and the precarity feels so much more real and so women get into these terrible relationships with their work where they can't make boundaries or tell people to fuck off or just say no even politely well one way to prevent that is to stop gaslighting them just quit telling them that it's their fault if they're not getting you know as far as they want to stop you know they're getting a ton of shitty messaging that you know is guilting them and i think uh, yeah. in some cases to to overworking um and then it's like a cycle of blame and guilt and it totally would be better if we said fuck off and focus more on the connections that were generative. I guess I'm just seeing like, I in the COVID moment, I'm seeing the women overproduce labor at work despite the COVID. They're pro- overproducing at home uh, because the men aren't helping. And then they're overproducing politically because they're saving whole fucking states like Georgia out padding the concrete and registering new fucking voters. And I just, I'm like, where are the fucking men? What are you doing to fix this shit that you have wrought? Where are you? What are you doing with your fucking time? And then you, and then bemoaning, right? A lack of connection or wanting a different life. Or, I mean, like all of the men with the midlife crises and the cars and the wife 2.0s, like you are in that position because you did not do the connecting with the people. And we are in a, like a crisis point. Like this is like nadir of the problem of connection. Trumpism is a product of a lack of connection. All of those Yahoo MAGA fuckers were out running around and connecting in the middle of the COVID because they were lonely as shit and totally alienated. And all they did was produce more alienation through their connections. And the liberals sat home, as I've said before on the podcast, making bread. And listen, I'm not trying to carve shame. I'm just saying the MAGA thing is about belonging and connection, even though the ideology is about Nazis. So, you know, this is a serious moment to take connection seriously and produce intentional connections that are life sustaining and that are community building. And I just look around my community and also all of the other ones that I'm active in, and it's the women who are doing all of the connecting. They're producing all the sexy, they're producing all the labor, they're fixing all the shit that's wrong. They're, they're the ones leading the rallies, they're figuring out the paperwork. You know, they're doing all of the shitty labor of the culture and they're getting underpaid for it and overworked. And it's like, this is thankless as fuck. So, you know, I'm glad that we wanted to talk about connection to celebrate, you know, five years of podcasting, because obviously you and I have successfully connected, (laughs) you know, for a really long time. And I think the podcast has been for us a really great source of connecting with other people too. But I feel like in a moment where the country is experiencing like these paroxysms of anti-connection and alienation, there is an opportunity to reassess the shitty connections we've had and the, the healthy ones that we want to pursue. 